Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Um, I very rarely do this, but I'm doing a book recommendation. This is a New York Times bestseller, which I don't know how. It's not canceled, but this is called Live Not By Lies um, by a guy named Rod Dreyer. I would say this is must reading for any believer today. It gives you the history of what was going on in the church and everything during the whole communist movement, 1900, all through the war, and um, all the pressures and everything, and relates it to what's going on today. Um, it is profound and um, great encouragement for uh, the church how to, uh, to um, really encourage each other, right, and come together in this time. With that said, um, this morning we're continuing our series in Galatians, and uh, we're going to talk about fighting for family. Um, folks, I, I, I don't need to be an alarmist, but I do need to wake us up. We are in perilous times. Do you believe that? Um, perilous times. Now, I'm put aside politics. Put aside our, all of that for right now. Perilous times when it comes to the family, the very building block of any healthy society in the world. Now, no matter where you're at this morning, I encourage you just to think. We don't learn from history. We need to. This is why this book is, is really a critical help just to kind of engage us again. There's never been a society ever in the history of the world that has ever lasted or gone well that rejected God's design for family and the healthy structure, right, of, of what that's to be. And this comes back on us. This comes back. When you read this, it comes back on the church, it comes back on believers who, all the way back there, who just uh, set aside, right? Just kind of moved back from the pressure, didn't stand up for the truth um, boldly and lovingly. And the course of the culture swept through in a powerful way. Um, folks, we are in perilous times when it comes to the family. And um, we need more help than ever before. Michelle and I are talking about this with five kids. I'm telling you, in the last couple of years, we have seen um, a radical change in our first, our, the, our older kids versus our younger kids. A radical change when it comes to parenting, when it comes to what they've been exposed to, when it comes to what they, the pressures upon them is these, this thing is increasing. And we need each other. We need support. But along with this, we'll talk about this morning, we've been isolated. You've been told, you've been taught, and all of our children have been taught to be an autonomous self, right? To be an individual and to seek more than anything um, individual personal flourishing. It used to be that the American dream originally was coming here to have religious freedom so that we could live out the virtues and the word and the truth of God. The American dream today, folks, even in the church, is what? Having a house, having material success. And that, is, that should wake us up to realize that's just one of many, many things that just kind of have happened, right, without our awareness or without, right, our attention to some of these things. Um, like never before do we need to lock arms as the church, model for the rest of the world, which God calls us to, healthy family, and a place, right, that we can come in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our, our brokenness in marriage and wayward children and just go down the list of fragmentation and everything else, 
a place we can come and get healing and restoration and strength and see the power of God do what he promises to do, which is restore and heal and see the beauty of when we step back into God's design and we repent from the ways of the world and we step back into his design, he brings a blessing and he brings restoration and he brings radical, right, transformation. That's the promise of the gospel itself. So, traditional families, Christian and otherwise, living in the post-communist liberal capitalism of today, know all too well that the left-wing assault on traditional marriage and family commenced in the West with the sexual revolution of the 1960s. Now, many could argue philosophically went back even further to enlightenment. Yes, yes. But practically in our nation, at least many of us have lived through or had some exposure to It continues today in the form of direct attacks by the woke left, including law professors advocating legal structures that dismantle the traditional family as an oppressive institution. Throughout history, any bit of totalitarianism, any bit of of movement, right, um, to, to something unhealthy always begins with the tearing down of the family. And folks, we see this today, right? We see, right, I know in our own family, our own children, right, just in the last few years, right, the government is trying to take the place of the parent, Right? This should be a very alarming and it should be the church to rise up right, and speak into this, into the truth. Is, uh, that is, and I could give you stat after stat on that. Right, More ominously, it comes from policies, laws, courts, decisions that diminish or sever parental rights in cases involving transgender minors. In other words, the state saying they know better for your child than you do or the parent. Right? That's just the flow of things, right? And the sad thing is the younger generation is taking this hook, line, and sinker, right? It is reforming people's view of family and what should be happening, right, in the family itself. But listen to this. It doesn't only come from the left. With the advance of consumerism and individualism, we have built a social ecosystem in which the function of the family has been reduced to producing autonomous consumers, with no sense of connection or obligation to anything greater than fulfilling their own desires. U.S. Christians, alas, and families, are not especially different from unbelievers. That should be a wake-up call, right, for us to come back to, Lord, please forgive us, Lord. We've been asleep at the watch when it comes to building healthy families, strengthening healthy families, gathering together, teaching mo- mother and father how to disciple and train up their children in the way of the Lord. And to, to be able to effectively enter into this onslaught, right, of, of stuff that is, is coming and attacking, right, the very foundation, right, of the word of God. And so this morning, our text, as we continue through Genesis 18 through 25, and I want to connect that, though, to Romans 18 through, 20, through chapter 2, verse 4. I'm not going to have time, but to, uh, uh, I wish we could just dive into Romans this morning, but I'm just going to give you a quick summary as we settle into, um, into Genesis and to lay out more, uh, more fully God's design. At the very beginning of creation, he's given it black and white, as clear as it can be, It is what God blesses. It is what he expects of his people to model and to go for. When that is rejected um, is that God gets involved. And this is where Romans 2, 4 says, or do you presume? Now Paul's writing to the church. Do you presume on the riches and the kindness and the forbearance um, 
of God. Not knowing that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Is that God doesn't judge us immediately after we sin. Thank God, right? (laughs) For all of us, right? He's kind. He's a holy God, but he withholds. And the reason he withholds, and not just for us individually, but he withholds for us, he withholds for nations. And all throughout the whole Bible, you read read all of history, God withholds. But guess what? You cannot continue to reject God in his ways, right, without, right, justice coming. Because he's a holy sovereign, as Derek talked about God. And throughout history, again, just there is no exception to this. And it's his kindness, right, that is patient and it says here, is waiting on his people, all people, to turn to him away from the wayward ways that we go. Um, and again, we step back, we've looked at this a couple weeks ago, and it says the wrath of God is revealed from is, it's a present tense, in any nation, in any people, um, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. And that's what's happening at a level beyond ever before, right, in our nation, is a purposeful suppression of the truth of God. And the most tragic thing of all is this is happening even in the church, is a stepping back and not upholding God's clear truth, but a stepping back and suppressing that truth, especially about the core of God's design, marriage and family, and what that's to look like, and manhood and womanhood, all that, right, together. And it says right here, folks, Romans 1, I'm, not, I'm just going to summarize it, but first, he, three times it says God hands over a people, and folks, this is just, this is, this is the word of God, the truth of God. But if you're here and you're kind of a skeptic or you're kind of like, okay, man, you're pushing my edge here, right? Is that this is history. God hands them over first to when they suppress the truth about God's done. He hands them over to immorality. And sex goes wild. By, by the way, folks, a little side note. And this is unbelievable that we don't have more kickback and discussion in the public square today. You know what the primary aspect of somebody's identity is? Who you are, your worth as a human being? It's your sexual preference. Right? That, that we've adopted that and without any fuss, without any dialogue, without any communication or debate, is we say fundamentally what's most important about somebody is their sexual preference. And folks, this is by the Bible says, and you go back in history. If we suppress the truth, God hands a people over to immorality. And then he goes on, and, then, and if that doesn't move people to turn back, the second thing he says is the presence of his judgment on a nation or people is he hands them over to unnatural relations. Right? We're deep in. Matter of fact, we're deeper than any country ever, Rome or anything else, because not only do we um, approve of it, Right, but we've we set it up. And the third one, folks, is it says if that doesn't wake people up to realize that's the that's the presence of God's uh, dis his judgment, his coming judgment. The next thing he says is is that he hands the people over to a debased mind. They can't even process truth anymore. Folks, we're so deep in. If you talk to anybody from the rest of the world who's a thinker out there, especially in the church or others, they're looking at America right now. And, you know, this is interesting, right? Is we're all cutting down Putin, right? And criticizing, which, yes, we need to. But, you know, he and some of the Russians and many others are, and they're looking at us like the great Satan. Who are you to talk to us about morality, Right? Um, it should be a wake-up call for us. But then Paul goes on and he says, this is what's so important. He says, but who are you, church? You know, to think that you are without excuse if you condone the same things. 
Do you presume upon God's kindness, his patience, his forbearance, right? To realize his kindness is to lead us to repentance, right? To turn back to him. And that turning back is not just a a turning back because we were in a certain lifestyle or doing something wrong. It is a turning back of what I believe, what I stand for. In other words, I can't approve, condone something and not be guilty of it before God. That's a big thing, right? Because in the church, it's crept in. It says, we think that love somehow is, I'm going to be empathetic. I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to just kind of walk with them. That is nowhere in the scripture. To not hold truth before somebody is not to love them. Or to love in the truth. Never to affirm anything, right, that God's word doesn't affirm. And this requires repentance on our part. Because that's just one step closer to be completely submitted to what's happening in culture rather than the word of God, right, of being our, our guide and in in when it comes to truth. And so this is the gospel, you know, again, this is Paul's plea to the Romans and, and it was his plea today to Americans like, church, it begins in the church, come back, repent, Turn, turn from these things and don't realize that this is just not something you sit back in and can be idle on. Jesus says, you're either for me or you're against me. There's no middle ground. And he says, simply in his word, he says, you know, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You see, we, we've created a bunch of admirers of Jesus, but not followers because the first part of that is conditional if you abide in my word. Only if you abide in my word will you know the truth and it will set you free. Only if you submit to the word of God am I going to experience the blessings and transformation of God. And the church is to be a, a, a family where we model that, right? We come in with all of our stuff, right? After receiving the grace and forgiveness of God and seeing, giving testimony of God's healing and blessing and forgiveness in our lives so that others would see that and come in and, and hopefully, right, experience the restoration, right? And forgiveness and and the transformation of the gospel, right, in their lives as we restore back to God's design. And folks, every one of us is in here this morning. Every one of us has, you know, some, some fracturing, whether it's marriage with our children, a wayward child, or our uh, relationships in our, in our larger family. You just go down the list, right? We all have our issues, right? The question is, are we sitting back and letting the course of life go, or are we fighting with faith, with the truth of God and expecting God to come and bring his truth in. And the problem that has to be restored today, folks, is we, we've, we've gotten pushed back so much to think that, oh, I, that's going to be judgmental, is we're held accountable for the truth of God. I mean, we should be more worried about is what's going to happen when I stand before God than I am worried about how somebody's going to receive it when I talk to them about the truth of God. In their life, in their marriage, in their view of, of how relationships and sexuality just go down the list of things. I should be more concerned about pleasing God and about what he's going to say and what he's going to hold me to rather than what somebody else. That's not love. Love is bringing the truth of God and wrestling with that um, regardless of the person's response. And this is exactly what Jesus did. He left the truth and he called people to it. He did not leave any room for someone to just say, that sounds good, and kind of hold a middle ground, right? And especially among God's people, this has to be right, restored right today. So with that as the framework for Genesis 1, 
of what God did in the very beginning. I'm going to pick up this morning verse 18. We looked a couple weeks ago just at the four P's of manhood of, of uh, what God commanded Adam in the first part of chapter 2. Now just to step back, give everybody a little overview. The f- Genesis chapter 1, God creates the cosmos. It's kind of that 100,000 view the big view of what God did. We move into chapter two and we crunch in to specifically what was happening in the garden, the sacred place where God is walking with his people, right? With Adam and Eve. And this is God's heart. He wants to abide with us. He wants fellowship with us. He wants to be with us, right? This is the whole course of salvation. The whole reason why he created all this wonder and beauty, right? To reveal his glory, right? So that we would experience it in fellowship with him, right? And the gospel is about restoring that, right? Because we're going to get to it. When we get to chapter three of Genesis, we reject it. We bought the lie. And um, this whole idea of fighting for family, I guess this statement would be um, in our lives, we need to restore exposing the lie and living the truth. Expose the lie Live the truth. That's a biblical command in Ephesians. Expose the lie. What is it done in darkness? Expose it and lay the truth upon it. And so this whole idea of I'm scared, somebody might think I'm judgmental or whatever is, I tell you, we should be scared about what a holy God thinks about our wimpiness when it comes to his truth, right? And that has to be restored, right, today in the church among God's people in the sense that we should be more passionate about his truth, right? And loving people through that truth, right? Again, no matter how they respond, is to love them and never step back because to step back, right, is to what? Is to enable them to continue in a lie, right? And it just affects our own soul and our own fellowship with God himself. All right, here we go. Verse 18, Then the Lord God said... It is not good that man should be alone. Uh, Let me just stop. Um, Is we think, well, okay, because he needs a wife. And that's true. But the bigger issue of this aloneness, folks, is that God, when he created everything, he never meant us to do anything alone. So all those four Ps, to be a priest, right? To mediate vertically with God out of blessing to, uh, to others. The idea of protector, the idea of provider, the idea of proclaimer of truth. Everything we see in the first part that God gave Adam is that he wasn't meant to do all that alone. Is he needed a partner? Is that we do things, the beauty of the family unit is this picture, right? Of oneness and of God is to carry out those things together uniquely in our own roles and uniquely how God has created us, but we need each other. And we'll talk about it in a minute, how society has pitted man and woman against each other. That's from the pit of hell. Never are we to compete with each other. We're to be side by side, which is what we're going to see here in just a minute. I will make him a helper fit for him. And ladies, this is a beautiful word. Don't let the cultures, oh, that's right, some terrible word. That is Ezra. That is the word that is used of God himself, who was the helper of Israel in time of battle and many other things. It is a beautiful, beautiful picture of of what it is to be female um, uniquely, beautifully, powerfully, right? Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. 
And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so God caused a deep sleep. Uh, this word, in, when the uh, early Christians translated the Hebrew into the Greek, the word they used there, ecstasis, which is this awesome word. It means astonishment. It means a vision. And so what's happened, this deep sleep is that Adam was taken to a vision. God, God gave him a prophetic vision of his helper, of this unity, of this person created fully in the image of God, fully equal with him, that he's going to be one with and that God is going to do this beautiful thing of bearing children, multiplying, and taking dominion, right, over, over the earth. It says, and he felt, the man fell asleep, and while he was asleep, as God took one of the ribs, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and brought her to the man. And then the man said, at last, this is bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So what is this, this whole oneness? In other words, um, God does this beautiful thing and, and he gives a prophetic vision, I think, to Adam to overwhelm him in this whole creative order, right, of the beauty. In other words, because it is Adam's role to uphold his wife. It is Adam's role to uphold the beauty and I'll just say man's role to uphold and protect and to um, substantiate the worth and beauty of woman, right? And to primarily be the protector, to not sit back like in just, we're going to get to in chapter 3, what Adam do? He stepped back, he was passive, and the rest is history, right? And uh, the same thing happens in a marriage. The same thing happens in just the world in general, right? Across the world, all the abuse, unfortunately, women bear the brunt of the majority of abuse around the world. Why? Is because men are not standing up to their God-given role as the protector and the one who is to hold up Right, the beauty, right, of this glorious vision, right, of what it is to be a woman. And that we cannot do it alone or in isolation. Now, just two things I think here. A couple weeks ago, we kind of threw some stuff hard at the men. I just want to say two things. I mean, there's so much that can be said, but I just want to say two things, I think, for the ladies. One is this idea of the whole rib. Actually, the Hebrew, it speaks more of, by, uh, of uh, um, Adam's entire side. The point is to be side by side. That's the beauty, right? Not behind, not above, not, but side by side. Together, oneness, right? To honor, right? To do it together. A helper, we're to do, uh, take dominion to do life together. And so just a little side note, um, folks, for us that are married specifically uh, here or will be married at some point, is I just throw this out, I was thinking about the other day, is um, what does, uh, say the church, what does my kids, what does my neighborhood, what does the community, uh, what do they think about me? Do they see me with Michelle often? Or do they see us both living individual lives, doing our own thing? And folks, the oneness is part of that expression should be all those around us and what we model to our children is we're locked together. Not that we can't do our own thing. Don't get me wrong. But just a little check. 
has the society that has automized us into fractured, highly autonomous individuals, it has sold this lie, especially to young women. You got to do your own thing. You got to make your own way, right? And this very kind of contractual idea of marriage that I got my thing, you got your thing, I'm going to go do my weekend, you do your, that's not biblical marriage. So just a little little check there, right, for that. And so it's side by side, ladies. The second thing is if I had to give any definition of what, what a woman is and uh, the, the blessing of, of female and um, the encouragement for female. And I, I think this, this is the very end of Proverbs 31, verses 30 and 31, the last verses of Proverbs the whole chapter of 31, obviously, right? Everybody's familiar with, right, the Proverbs 31 woman. And it's, it's just read it. It's beautiful. It so defines very practically, right, this, in, this blessing of oneness, right? And the husband unleashing his wife into all of her gifting and her incredible, uh, you know, she does it all. I mean, right, international business. I mean, it's all kinds of stuff. Michelle reminds me that, but she had servants. So that, we'll give that. So, but, um, uh, listen to this. I think this is needed today more than ever. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. Aspen, Colorado. Listen. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Is to be praised. And parents... Our young girls have been taught just the opposite. They are sexualized and they are given a platform of voice into everything that charm talks about. But who is leading them to a woman that God honors, that the world will honor, is one who fears the Lord. Gentlemen, if you're looking for a mate, don't go any further. Does she fear the Lord? First and foremost. Now here's the next verse is awesome. Because of that, God's promise upon the woman who fears the Lord and doesn't go the way of culture with all that it says to her, give her the fruit of her hands, let her works praise her in the gates. And you know that her husband's been honored in the gates because of her. But the blessing that God says, I will honor her. I'm going to honor the fruits of her hand. I'm going to honor what's inside her publicly. The city gates were the elders of the city. Awesome promise. Hold on to it. Let's ask the Lord to show us how to build our young ladies to be mighty women of God who are first and foremost, not sexualized, not given all the crap of they got to compete with men and blah, blah, blah. Fear the Lord, and the Lord will establish you as a mighty woman of God and open avenues of influence and bring a blessing to your husband, your family, etc., etc. Does that make sense? What a powerful blessing to hold on to, right? And we have four daughters, and I'm just like, Lord, help me, right? Uh, help me. And just going through all this this week, man, I just like, Lord, I mean, I, you know, and folks, repentance should be a part of regular life but we don't know how to do that we're in a therapeutic culture we just think forbearance that god we think the idea of for god's forbearance and patience also is forgiveness it's not do you know that it's his patience and his kindness that is to lead us to repentance and it's only after repentance that forgiveness comes 
There is no forgiveness if I'm not brought to a broken, humble place before God. Forgive me, Lord. I am not being the husband, the father that I need to be. Forgive me and help me. Let me step into this, right? Now God will move. But we've sold the gospel and bought into this because it's very cultural that, no, 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 God's gracious and forgiveness does not come without deep repentance. And repentance is turning from the lie and turning to Jesus. It's a radical transformative thing in our life. Stopping something and moving towards something else, right? That's when God's spirit moves, right? That's what brings about great forgiveness. So just... In conclusion, um, or conclusion, I, I just want to give us four things, or seven things, quickly, um, just as a little battle plan. And uh, expose the lies, live the truth. Expose the lies, repent from sin. Live the truth. Turn to Jesus. And especially when it comes to how we are in our marriages and in our families and everything else, this is of the utmost importance. And I'm not even focused on what the, the culture right now is. We, we've, Lord, help us as the church by the family of God to model this, to encourage one another. And folks, uh, I'm gonna say it here in these seven things, but I just wanna reiterate it, is the first step. If there's an action plan today, is that if you remain isolated or just church and church community is just kind of when it's convenient, you and your family will be crushed by the culture. I'm going to say it again. I'm not even, I'm not waffling around. If you, if I, if anyone doesn't get serious about being a part of God's church and a smaller breakdown of that in discipleship, you and your family will be crushed by the culture. There is no other option. And this whole book will give you a whole chunk of history, specific examples, and I'm going to read some of that for us today. I couldn't say it any stronger. And you say, wow, Steve, that's so harsh. It's the truth. And folks, families are being crushed today. The next generation is being crushed today because we have taken just an admirer of Jesus. I like Lord Jesus. I like your church. I like you. I like your word. Um, but I'm kind of busy. I'm caught up in this consumer thing. There's a lot of other priorities and things I have to do rather than honor you, God, right? So the first is fight marriage family confusion with the foundation of biblical marriage is we have to restore what the Bible says. And, and, and folks, even just reading Genesis, right? This kind of makes you feel a little uncomfortable. It shows how, how there's very few circles. Only the church, and by the way, only the church that's preaching this today in America, right? It's the only thing holding this back. Of, of, our, of, our, of our nation, of the ideology that's taking over that says you're an autonomous self. Every bit of technology, you know that it moves to, all that technology does is put in practical place what science has done. And every bit of technology, you know what it does? It merges values down, just molds them down. This is what social media has done. It takes values and it brings them down. It never exalts godly values, it brings them down. Always, right? So it's a fight. For God's people, and this is the same thing throughout history, right, that we have to hold on to. And, and so, you know, for me, I, I looked at this, there's so many things, that, I'll just leave you with a question because I've been wrestling with myself. Lord, how do I know that my f- marriage and my family is under your blessing and favor? Lord, am I doing what you 
have called me to do? How do I know that my home is blessed by you, God? How do I know, God, that you are pleased with my role in this family? Now, folks, so let me take the next thing is I I can wrestle with that. But here's the deal. Unless I'm in fellowship, a smaller group of believers, I'm not going to be transformed. I'm not going to be held accountable. I'm not going to really have to wrestle with that question. And so I give that to you as probably the primary act. If we do not step out into willing to gather with others, we'll be swept away by the culture. Our family, our children will be swept away. There is no other option, especially in this day and age. Fight identity confusion with complementary oneness in marriage. All the identity confusion out there and that your identity is primarily based on your sexual preference, this is ludicrous. It's radically unhealthy and it is as pagan and, again, just take a look at history. There is no good example of when anybody's ever gone this way. But they're not telling you that. They're not telling your kids that. They're just cramming home an ideology that is only leading people to further fragmentation, further destruction in their own soul. There's something better. There's something glorious that they need to hear about. There's a healer. There's a forgiver. There's the grace of God who will restore and strengthen and bring alive what it is to be a man, bring alive what it is, right, to be a woman and to uphold complementary, unique roles, man and woman, in this beautiful oneness of marriage, holding up each other in God's right design in marriage. And um, I would just point out again, I said earlier, but anything that brings about competitiveness between male and female is just a lie. And it's only going to bring about something that is destructive to those individuals. God, he created woman and man to be in complementary oneness. And even if you're not married, if you're single, all this still applies is we can't do it alone. We're to do it together, right? And uh, the idea of competition or the idea to think that ladies, you have to be like a man to be respected or something. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Fight it with everything within you, right? And vice versa, men, right? Is we uphold, right, God's design um, today. Fight lies of media with a strong home and family table. Man, is it hard? Parents? That, and some of our greatest battles around the dinner table, you know? I mean, just getting into it, right? Because it's a spiritual battle. The enemy, I promise you, if you try to do, make this a priority, or even dinner together, even with healthy discussion, why is it so hard? Why is it that everybody wants to do their own thing, right? Fragment. Because there's a battle. That should prove the very truth of the matter, right? There's a real battle going on. We need help. We all need help. How do you do this? How do you set a priority over your household that we're going to eat together and we're going to have some significant get into each other's lives and support and encourage and pray for each other? What does that look like? Table. It's all but eroded, folks. All but eroded today in the culture. And and I'm talking about just the church. In the church. Those who claim to be followers of Jesus. uh, That should be one of the most formative times. Um, Fight isolation and drift with commitment to Christ's body, his church. Folks, uh, are you familiar with this word automization? 
There was the ideology today that's been taught, if you've been educated anywhere in higher education in America, is again, the philosophy is, the priority is you as an autonomous self person, not your family, not the community you're part of, but you, you, and you need to live for what brings you human flourishing. And uh, that's at the very base of all the ideology out there right today. And all of that, folks, just instills this isolation and this move away from commitment, right? And this is why the Word of God, Hebrews 10 says, man, um, don't forsake gathering together, especially as you see the day coming, especially as you see times are tense. Press in with each other. Press in. We need each other. Remember, we're not to do this alone. It's not good for man to be alone, right, Um, in this in this fight. All right, number five. Fight superficiality with commitment to microchurch. Okay. What um, is, is important? You can see it in the book of Acts, all throughout history. In the book of Acts, when persecution came, the larger gathering could not gather anymore, and people had to meet in smaller groups and in house churches. And throughout history, that's been the same thing. If we are not committed to also being gathered together in a smaller unit where Christ is honored, right, and where we can be accountable and we can flesh this stuff out, right, there will not be a transformation. It takes very little, right, transformation. And we will not be strong in the midst of cultural, cultural takeover and the forming of our families. Um, and so let me just read this. It's just one of many examples. And this is by a pastor who grew up under the Russian oppression um, <clears throat> of totalitarianism the early part of the 19th or uh, 20th century. Today it is easy to obtain a Bible in Russia, easy to meet for worship services, easy to find religious teaching on the internet, i.e. America also. Yet something among contemporary Christians has been lost, the old pastor says. Something that was held dear by those small, um, small groups. Christianity has become a secondary foundation in people's lives, not the main foundation. Now, it's all about career, material success, and one's standing in society. In these small groups, when people were meeting back then, the center was Jesus. I want to hammer this home. It's not about my felt need. When, when you gather together, it's Jesus. We're doing church. We're here to exalt in him and have his word come and transform us, right? And his word that was being read and being interpreted as applicable to our own life. What I am supposed to be, do as a Christian. What I am doing as a Christian. I, together with my brothers, was checking my own Christianity. Small groups not only provided accountability, he says, but also gave believers a tangible connection to the larger body of Christ. The only way any of these people, and throughout history, book of Acts, just go there, survived was that they gathered with others around the word of God and around Jesus to encourage each other to make a stand as pressure came on, right? And so, again, I plead with you. If you're not in a smaller gathering, man, just pray about making a step. Talk to us. That's what we want to need to facilitate as a church in a powerful way, right? Fight progressive ideology and consumerism with biblical saturation. Biblical saturation. Now, folks, again, am I aware of my household, of the influence into my household? Can I say that my household is more saturated with the truth and promises and glory of God or more what the world and the news and everything else says? This is important stuff. 
It's huge. And, and I'm just going to throw this out. But if we had to do it again, we look back and both Michelle and I just like this week. It's like, man, Lord, forgive us for that. Forgive me for that. I would have done this differently. And I'm going to just say this. And sorry, kids, but uh, I'm going to say this. But I would allow never a phone or iPad or computer into a bedroom. The only thing that should be in that bedroom is a Bible and books. That phone and that iPad and computer, they need to be up in the family room. Because I'm telling you right now, is if that's allowed into the bedroom, is you know exactly what's going to happen. It is the primary forming time of that person. And I can promise you, most kids are not going to be um, Googling Bible verses, right? And this is called fighting for the truth. Practical things, right? Um, that have a profound impact, especially today more than ever before. Finally, fight spiritual mediocrity with discipleship to move from being an admirer to a follower. Folks, listen to this final quote. This is actually Soren Kierkegaard, one of my faves, because Kierkegaard lived in a Denmark um, that the church was a bunch of admirers. And he, the only way he figured he could change things, well, he, his whole writing was to wake the church up from being admirers to, to being followers, to realize uh, that there was a deep problem. Christ understood that being a disciple was in innermost and deepest harmony with what he said about himself. Christ claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. For this reason, he could never be satisfied with adherents who accepted his teaching, especially those who in their lives ignored it or let things just take their course. His whole life on earth from beginning to end was destined solely to have followers and to make admirers an impossibility. And folks, I don't have time to break that down in scripture, but do you realize that that's why Jesus said count the cost? He talked to the crowds because he wanted people to step out of the crowd and be a follower. And to be an admirer of Jesus is not to be a Christian. He called followers. And that means I step out and I submit myself to Jesus and I submit myself to his word. That is the call of discipleship. That is where we are wholly lacking in the church today is to bring people to that point. Jesus, everything he did, he never opened the door for someone just to sit back and go, Jesus, love your word, love your teaching, love you. And that could go on and hold different opinions about God and life and everything else and just kind of go their way. He never opened that door. He said, count the cost before you follow me. Because as you got to follow me, there's only one option. You got to deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. And folks, That is diabolically opposite of what the world and our culture has taught you, has taught our children, has been in education to exalt yourself. Jesus says you must deny yourself and bring yourself humbly as a servant before Jesus and repent of my wayward ways. And then and only then will the Spirit of God bring radical transformative power into my life and then out, right, into marriage and family, right, and and everything else. And so just, Derek, y'all come on up. In, in conclusion, folks, again, I, I just I want to pray for, for marriages. I want to pray um, for kids, God's blessing and restoration. But in my lifetime, there's never been more friction between the generations. I'm talking about in the church. 
the younger generation bucking up against the older, bucking and challenging the word of God, bucking and challenging the traditional ways, bucking and challenging God's design. And folks, this is serious business. And I just plead with you, parent, child, wherever you are, this is not just some normal exchange of values. This is serious business. The kingdom of heaven is at stake. Um, it's time to wake up and get into the fight. And we can't do that without each other. We need to lock arms and encourage and pray for each other. And that happens as we gather together, right? Um, so Father, we come to you and Lord, um, gosh, thank you, Lord, for your patience. Um, Lord, forgive us. I'd say forgive me, Lord. Forgive, your, forgive us, Lord, for not stewarding your church and equipping families to be stronger in your word for the generations, God. Lord, restore that today. Father, I just pray for anyone whose marriage is just struggling here. They're struggling with the role. They're struggling with passivity. They're struggling with just intimacy. And Lord, I just pray they turn to you. Turn to you. And expose the lie, Lord, that is breaking them apart. To realize, Lord, you have oneness. You have something beautiful, Lord. You promise, Lord. Father, I pray for the children. Lord, I pray for parents in the name of Jesus, Lord. Restore, Lord, the radical responsibility of training up our children in the way of the Lord. Father, I pray for every wayward child represented here. Father, I pray like the prodigal. Lord, open their hearts in the name of Jesus. And finally, Lord, I just pray for single adults. Lord, that all of this, Jesus was single. Paul was single. You don't have to be single to carry out, or you don't have to be married to carry out your purpose. Strengthen them and let them know that they might be single, but they're not alone. To lock arms with the family of God that is their family. Holy Spirit, come and do your work. We love you, God. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.